Uh, we talked about carbon taxes, the EPA's new oil gas regulations. If you have any questions, uh, please feel free to contact us and until next time. Okay, welcome back to Credentials Buffering. My name is Leah. Today I'm hosting with my buddy Zach and our guest today is Maddie. Uh, Maddie, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm really excited to be here. I'm a freshman at the University of Texas at San Antonio this fall. I am also working as the communications director for the Democratic Party at UTSA, which we're a student political org, obviously focused on electing Democratic candidates. And then I'm a student ambassador for Battleground Texas, so I'll be able to work this fall to try and get students to the polls. Very, very cool. So why don't you uh, give the audience an idea of what you're here to talk to us about today? So I'm primarily here to talk about the environment and specifically environmental law and the effect that this election will have on environmental law um, going into the future, primarily through the way that our president and our executive branch gets to influence the EPA as well as the Department of Interior. Can you give us a background on what has happened in the past four years since, since the Trump election? Uh, how has the EPA changed or what, what things have been changing surrounding that? So since Donald Trump has taken office, he's done a few different things. Um, first, he's you know, obviously appointed administrators to the EPA as well as members to the Department of Interior. Specifically with the EPA, he appointed Andrew Wheeler uh, most recently. Um, and Andrew Wheeler is actually a lawyer who used to defend coal companies. He also served as a counsel to a Senate member who did not believe in climate change, and he's lobbied against Obama-era regulations. So with this new Trump-era EPA, they've rolled back a lot of the restrictions, regulations that the Obama administration put in place. Most notably, in 2019, they officially withdrew the Clean Power Plan, which would have worked to begin transitioning the United States to using sources of power that have lower carbon emissions. And uh, just as recently as today, a story broke that the EPA is going to rescind uh, methane regulations for oil and gas that were put in place during the Obama administration. So it's definitely an ongoing thing. I think it's kind of bad to have somebody who protected coal industries in charge of regulating coal industries. You would think that would be a conflict of interest in at least one or two ways. I just uh, don't see how that's a good way to uh, set laws and practices for coal industries when they're themselves setting it. Yeah, honestly, there's not a worse example than having people in charge of coal industries lobbying for coal industry regulations because it affects public health. Yeah, um, there's actually reports that the EPA administrator actually met with former clients of his while in office, but no like actual corruption has been confirmed, obviously, but yeah. What do you think these meetings with his former clients might imply? Not, not to make like assumptions about like anything wild, but like what, what, what do you think an implication of that might be? I actually don't know what they were meeting about. I just know that those meetings happened. Um, and I think it's, you know, kind of as Zach said, it's very dangerous if we have people in charge of regulating coal industries who are buddy-buddy um, with some of the largest coal companies in the U.S. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't mean that there's a conspiracy theory or anything. They could just be talking about um, the future of the environment and they just want to be informed so that they could protect the environment to the best of their abilities well, um, maintain their business operations just so that they're on the same page. And who knows, maybe the, I don't know if the coal industries have scientists or not, but they very well could have a scientist who know a lot about how current coal practices and oil practices are affecting the environment because they have access to company data. I think it is possible. Uh, I want to switch over to talking about more, more succinctly talking about climate change. What are you looking forward to in the next election in terms of how we're going to be responding to climate change and how we have been responding to it, whether 
poorly or just irresponsibly or responsibly. Yeah, I mean, I guess it honestly just really depends on who is elected um, in the next cycle in terms of how much I'm looking forward to it. Um, I know Joe Biden has recently announced a plan to put like something $2 trillion um, into the energy sector over his four years that would be put towards developing clean energy um, and also creating jobs within those sectors. So that's something that is really exciting to me. Um, also, I guess just to see if Joe Biden again is elected, he could potentially put back all the regulations that Trump has rolled back um, into place under an EPA that is more environmentally friendly. Yeah, because I guess it's almost a little bit personal for Joe Biden, being that most of these regulations are put in place during the Obama administration. I completely agree that he must have been working hand in hand with Obama in all of these policy proposals, uh, probably even helping Obama select who's going to be in the administration, being he is part of the administration's uh, leadership. In my opinion, it could go either way. Um, Trump, uh, fortunately, is um, enacting a few uh, policies that he hasn't that he hasn't done in the past that are more uh, moderate um, and less uh, far right. In my opinion, I think the new executive orders he passed are are showing that he does have some room to change, at least before the election. What, uh, what executive orders are you uh, referring to? Uh, the ones passed on the seventh of August. And those were just the executive orders about the payroll act. I mean, the payroll tax uh, deferral, interest deductions for student loans. I think those show signs that he's willing to make um, some changes, at least in the short term. I'm not sure if that's indicating that he's changed or if he's just trying to get votes, but I'm hopeful. If he's reelected, I would definitely also be hopeful. I guess just like as you know, a Democrat, my concern is that those changes wouldn't stay past the election. Like if he's elected, he might, you know, kind of go back to his uh, more far right thing. But no, I definitely, you know, think that that's like a good outlook to have. And I do hope that if he is reelected, um, that he would be more willing to change on environmental issues. Yeah, to me, it just seems that he probably won't do that. I mean, I have some hope that he'll change, but it, it doesn't seem like that kind of logic and reasoning that I'm applying I don't think it'll continue. There's a lot of debate, especially I think I'm more so on the left, I'd be wrong about that, but I think I've seen it more so in my own political circles here, about whether the answer to climate, to fixing or, or alleviating climate change from individual people making daily conscious decisions like using paper and metal straws instead of plastic straws and not using plastic bags at the grocery store, or whether the change directly comes from you know, corporations uh, changing, wildly changing their practices on both production and waste from production of products. Do you have like an opinion on where the focus should be more shifted towards, like the individual or the corporation? I think that as individuals, like really like my focus can only be on my own practices because like there's nothing I can do to make Walmart care about the environment just like as an individual person. So I definitely think, you know, you're right that we need to be taking on both. But I also do think that change has to really come from our government, you know, both at the federal level, at the state level, and even at a local level in terms of actually making companies make those changes. Because I mean, I know Burger King recently came out that apparently they're feeding their cows a different diet to reduce their methane emissions. But um, those types of reductions are kind of few and far between. And we really need, this is change that, you know, needs to happen quickly. The implication of the quicker change comes more from corporation or from everybody just doing what they can. I mean, I guess kind of both. Like I, I said, I don't think that, you know, people are on a widespread scale just going to immediately change their practices, you know, overnight. Um, I think that we need to be doing as much as we can, but 
really a lot of my focus is on, you know, kind of like the politics of the environment and making sure that people go out and vote with the environment in mind so that we can kind of enact change at like these larger scales and um, wider levels. I would like to add on to that. It's very impractical to say that individual choices are going to affect how many carbon dioxide is produced because we could either just stop buying meat altogether or we could choose a competitor and right now there's only like four options and all of them are very similar to each other. I definitely understand what Zach is saying. I just want to clarify, I'm not trying to like shame anybody for their individual choices. Um, You know, I mean, like, especially if you're like trying to eat options that are more environmentally friendly, like ethically produced, you know, meat and eggs and whatnot, that can, you know, be very expensive. A lot of people just don't really have the option to do that regularly. Individual change is like not a bad thing and it'd be really great if we could do it on a wide level but that's again I guess kind of why my focus is always more on wanting to um, you know get people to the polls and vote in environmentally friendly politicians so that we can kind of have corporations make those changes um, before they get to consumers. And when you say environmentally conscious politicians um, are you talking about the head of the EPA? Yeah, well, the head of the EPA isn't actually a politician, like we don't vote on him, but I'm, I'm talking more like, you know, the president of the United States, because obviously they do make those appointments to like the EPA administrators, as well as, you know, members of their cabinet who oversee environmental decisions. Also on, you know, like a state or local level, because states are able to raise environmental regulations um, and enact stricter regulations within their own boundaries. Do you think that we should have stronger powers in the uh, judiciary uh, branch of the government uh, to oversee who's being appointed to those positions? I don't know. I, I Honestly, I haven't really ever thought about that. But a lot of times, like, kind of once we, you know, like the American people make their decision about who is going to be the head of the executive branch, a lot of that has, a lot of those decisions have kind of already been made once the 2016 or 2020 election is over. That's fair. I'm, I'm just curious if uh, maybe some oversight or some judge, um, making sure that they aren't just appointing, making sure the executive department's just not appointing uh, whoever they want to that branch. I don't think it should be political. I think it should be based on that person's uh, credentials, their education, and how much they can contribute. I think that's actually a very interesting idea. Um, You know, I think it could definitely be helpful in ensuring that we have, you know, credentialed, qualified candidates in those administrative positions. It's honestly, like I said, it's just not not really one that um, I had really seen talked about much or considered before. Right, because right now I think you said it was a lawyer that was um, put in charge of the EPA during Trump's um, election. Uh, Why is a lawyer in charge of the environment? Yeah, no, for sure. I don't really understand, like, why he's in charge of the environment. And to be fair, a lot of their, they do have a lot of outside consultants that are supposed to report on the science of, you know, the environment and of public health. But it is kind of strange that somebody who does not have a background in that science would be put in charge of making those uh, very important decisions. It would seem that it should be the other way around, that somebody who is an expert in the field, like a consultant, should be the one who is put in charge in the first place instead of having a middleman um, who doesn't have that level of experience making those decisions. But that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, so this there is something I want to bring up. At the beginning of Trump's administration, amidst all the talk that he was going to, you know, all the talk from left-leaning media that he was going to ruin our environmental protections and things like that, we did see that he his administration together an advisory council on climate discord. Um, a lot of CEOs 
of companies that have environmental implications like Elon Musk. We had Bob Iger, who's the CEO of Disney. That council, after a couple months, kind of fell apart, mostly because of media backlash to these CEOs for joining. These CEOs that run these huge companies that have environmental gain as well as environmental destruction involved in their in the production of their products. What what do you think the implication is of Trump putting them on a council to oversee climate change? Like, do you think there there was care put into that, or and is that is maybe the reason that that it fell apart? That maybe they weren't qualified to talk about that. What year did you say that happened in? So that happened right at the beginning. I have an article up from June 2017 about it falling apart. So it, it, I think it, I think it was like an early, uh, late 2016, early 2017 thing. So right at the beginning of, I'm sorry, of his, not his campaign, of his presidency, that kind of fell apart midway through the, the pretty much the first year of his presidency. Yeah, that was like uh, obviously kind of a while ago. I don't really remember um, following it very much or reading very much about it. But, you know, I do think, you know, the implications of having a bunch of CEOs overseeing climate change is kind of scary just because, and, you know, I don't want to generalize or judge all CEOs, but they're, you know, going to be concerned with the bottom line and with profits. But when we're talking about tackling climate change, we're often talking about infrastructure changes. We're talking about, you know, like changing our normal mode of production. It's not normally the cheapest thing to do. So that's kind of scary. Uh, The EPA actually does have to, when they make a rule, they have to um, hire economic consultants to see how the economy will be impacted by the rule. So for me, that's kind of like where we should, you know, stop worrying about the economy. Like they, you know, look at it. We don't necessarily need to consult individual CEOs um, to ask their opinions. I think the assumption that they're just going to focus on the bottom line isn't 100% true. I think another way a business could operate efficiently would be to make themselves look good to consumers. So if that means for Disney to adopt more solar panels and uh, add those to the theme parks so they don't run on carbon emissions or um, anything that harms the environment, that could actually generate a lot of uh, revenue. Um, More people like Disney. It'll get them a lot more media coverage and might be a good business strategy, uh, depending on how much um, like free advertisement you can get out of that. But I would generally agree with um, what Maddie said, because the way most companies are run today are based off profits, not just uh, trying to look good for consumers, because most consumers don't have that many options. How many Disney worlds are there that aren't owned by Disney? Interesting, interesting that you said that like Disney using like solar panels. What was your implication though, that it could improve their image or that it could improve the way they do things? The implication was if they improved um, the way they did things, it would improve their image to other people and they would be more likely to support that organization by going to Disney World. And Disney does a real thing or not. They do have this image of like being the most environmentally friendly like theme park organization. Um, they do this thing where they buy up a bunch of land and turn it into conservancy, where in actuality, when Florida law, when you're going to buy a build a new hotel on land, you need to purchase, um, you need to offset your emissions, a, a specific set of land that you're not going to touch or something like that, if you're like a, a theme park owner. So it's interesting. They keep buying up conservancy, conservancies, like nature conservancies, but for their own gain kind of thing. So there's a there's a fine line there, I think, and that's not that's my my one Disney example, but I'm sure other companies practice similar. It seems like they're doing that just because there's a law in place that says they have to 
by conservancy and maintain it in order to have a theme park. So it seems like they're just doing it because they have to, not to improve their image. But they do it anyway. They say this is because we're trying to improve our image, even though that's not what they're doing. They're just doing it to like build another resort. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It's their only option. But they're saying they volunteered to do it. I actually had never heard about that. So that's really interesting um, that you bring that up. That's like that's like news to me. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a lot of what I'm what I'm finding out recently, especially is that whenever you see a huge corporation doing something good for the environment, there's got to be like some kind of like personal gain loophole that you that you got to read through like a bunch of stuff to figure it out. Like, ah, there it is. They're trying to build a resort or they're trying to do something over there. So, but it looks good over here. Something like that, you know? Right. Like you could donate ten percent of every dollar you make to charity but you also get a huge tax rebate because of that. I do wonder how much uh, public image actually affects these companies and huge billion trillion dollar corporations. Like Apple is like a trillion dollar corporation now, which is like crazy to me. I do wonder how much public image actually affects these companies if they're able to make that much money anyway. Like it seems like people, the easy assumption is to say that people just don't care what companies do and they don't want to hear about it and they'll buy the product anyway. I think that's definitely true of of people who buy Apple products. I'm guilty of it myself. But I I do wonder if the environmentally conscious people have any sort of dent or impact at all on these corporations or if it's just not enough to make make a serious inquiry. I think one issue is you can't buy anything uh, like Apple. Apple has patents on thousands of individual pieces of their hardware and if you want anything like apple except maybe an android uh, you have to buy an apple you have to buy it from them i don't think it's the individual that's doing it it's just there are a lot of uh, practices in place that are very anti-competitive which don't give the individual a lot of sway and even if something does happen it seems that there is usually a massive bailout to those kind of companies. Uh, like, look at the airline industry. They decided not to save money, and look where it got them during the, during the world's biggest plague. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm recording this on an iPhone, so I, I definitely can't, you know, like, preach about what individual choices we should make. But I think a lot of times, like, as consumers, it's just, like, there either aren't other options for certain products, or in order to find those other options for certain products, you have to like spend a ton of time researching and you know like reading all the fine print and looking into it, um, which a lot of people just don't really have time to do. So it's very difficult to you know like be an environmentally conscious consumer. When Zach brought up like meat alternatives and how there's not that many choices, something I was thinking about is like the vegan and vegetarian conscious about buying leather product and switching to pleather instead or like fake leather, plastic leather, it is sad for the environment to produce that plastic leather handbag as it is to like get real leather. I understand the the want to be better, do things that are better for the environment and animal rights and things like, especially in, in terms of leather, but there's always, there's always a catch to anything that you do. By a company, by a corporation, there's going to be some sort of like carbon emission offset that just like takes your intentions and kind of throws them out the window. Um, so it's very hard to be an environment, it definitely is very hard to be an environmentally conscious consumer when the things that you're consuming are not conscious in the first place. Never heard that before. Yeah. yeah, and it's also I think it's really difficult because our the advertising that we receive often misleads us to believe something is better for the environment than it actually is. 
Um, like a lot of times the companies that sell pleasure will sell them as though they're, you know, like environmentally friendly and they don't use any animal products and that's a good thing when actually like pleather is, you know, creates like plastic, which is a lot worse than just using leather, which we would already have. Not to mention that it also costs a lot to make things. Uh, one example I would bring up is the Tesla uh, car. It is run on electricity, which means it doesn't burn biofuels or uh, regular fuels, but uh, you're also spending a lot of time and energy mining lithium out of the ground, which is uh, very hard and costs a lot in carbon dioxide emissions and you have to transport it um, halfway across the world to a factory, which factory itself creates a lot of emissions. On a large scale, I think all of this, all of the alternative energy sources would be a net, a net reduction on carbon emissions gain for the environment. You know, I just think that at the scale we're at right now, it just seems better to get a regular car or do things that aren't in the big picture, the most environmentally conscious thing. The bringing up Tesla is, is an interesting thing because there's you could make a legitimate argument in either direction for saying they're better for the environment or they're not they're just as bad or, or worse the environment because of that giant lithium-ion battery like and what it takes to mine that and that also goes into get, gets into a little bit of environmental justice territory with if you're mining with lithium from uh other countries that practice that practice different labor ethics you're you're veering into you know labor ethics territory there so that also brings up whether or not it's environmentally conscious it may not be uh ethically conscious for the people who are actually doing this mining. um whereas making like there's plenty of like gas power gas powered like car companies that are like fully made in america with american labor ethics and there are plenty that aren't as well but you can you can make a, a legitimate argument in either direction and on kind of on your comment about environmental uh racism or environmental justice when we're you know like mining in other areas people who live near the area that's being mined might have like their groundwater polluted um or you know like other chemicals released into the air depending on you know the specific practice that they're using to mine that lithium or other items so it's just kind of interesting how you know other people might be affected worse um, or other people might not be affected as badly by those specific practices i think all of this doesn't mean we as individuals don't have a choice it just means our choices don't include choosing from a, a competitor and buying their products there's an interesting thing there with though, like just keeping the same iPhone um, and not getting the new one as soon as it comes out the next year, because like Apple just lost a lawsuit where they proved that Apple was through uh, software updates, they were like harming the batteries on force you to upgrade to the next phone with like firmware that was embedded in the um, in the updates that they were sending out. Uh, if you had like an iPhone. So we're up to iPhone 11 now. If you had like an iPhone 6 or 6S, uh, any update that you got would include a little bit of firmware that would slow down your battery line, eventually be forced to upgrade. Um, so even if you're trying, there are there are situations, and not every time does this, and Apple obviously got sued over it, and now they're like paying a whole bunch of money to fix it. Even if you're trying to be a conscious consumer and like just hold on to your stuff for as long as possible, there's always like insidious things out there like that force you to buy, 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 you know, like they force you to, to consume. Well, there goes that option. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't mean to be like a Debbie Downer. It's just like there, that's part of the reason why I bring up the, the CEO, like environmental council from a couple of years ago is because like, these are the, these are the companies that are using workarounds and like doing just weird backwards things to, 
make you buy their products. And they're, they were for a minute, for a very short amount of time, the heads of like the environmental council and stuff like that. It's so it's, it's, I, again, I don't mean to be like a Debbie Downer, but there's always, it's so a conscious consumer right now, um, especially in terms of caring for the environment. You know, that's why, like obviously having, you know, like rules in place and having an, you know, EPA administrator who cares about the EPA um, is so important because a lot of the things that the EPA does um, is they put regulations on what companies and what factories are able to do, such as, you know, tailpipe emissions, or I'm not, I'm not sure if they have any regulations, you know, specifically on ISO and production, um, but, you know, they do regulate what companies are able to do in regards to the environment, uh, you know, which I think is why it's important. Total worst case scenario, if, if every regulation from the Obama administration gets overturned by Trump, what kind of changes or like what, what kind of differences are we, are we looking at? Like what do some of those regulations include, I guess, if we know? <laughs> well, let's look at the gangs. Um, I mean, as far as the environment's concerned, there isn't a lot. But on the bright side, uh, companies will definitely uh, make more money because they don't have to pay money to do these regulations. And they could theoretically use that money to better the environment from a big picture perspective. Uh, say Tesla doesn't have to follow as many environmental practices or regulations. Uh, they could create the best car in the entire world that runs on exactly, it runs completely on electricity. It runs the most efficient route through an artificial intelligence so you don't spend as much electricity so the power plants don't burn as much to create that electricity in the first place and that car also uh, runs 24 hours a day and is used by everyone pop like that is the dream um, if these regulations are repealed I do often wonder though if the individual car um, module is is misguided and we should be focusing on public transportation and really improving the experience, making it more affordable and things like that. I wonder if I wonder what the offset if more of us took public transportation than bought electric cars. The thing I've noticed in countries that do have a lot of public transportation is the private transportation becomes extremely expensive. Uh, those roads that we drive on every day and take for granted mostly become toll roads that you have to pay to drive on, uh, as well as paying for the car and the gas. So you can travel within your city very easily. It's very cheap to do so. But if you ever want to go to, say, a different city uh, across the United States, you're going to be paying costs equivalent to a plane ticket. Again, I, you know, I, I also don't want to be you know overly negative, but I think the idea of companies like reinvesting all that money um you know maybe maybe tesla will but like on a on a larger scale i don't think the probability of companies reinvesting that money in environmentally friendly practices is great um i'm also concerned just not even just about climate change um because under you know um more conservative administrations specifically i'm talking about the trump administration they're also seeing um you know like a repeal of policies that would have protected our wetlands um we're also seeing you know like the in department of the interior uh use federal land uh more for like things like fracking um all of which you know are hugely environmentally destructive um, especially because you know wetlands are so important because a lot of times we're able to use them to filter water which you know produces cleaner water for people to drink um, so those policies are definitely something we also need to take into account. Okay. I think the silver lining here is if regulations are repealed, that does give companies the chance to uh, create their own standards that they might know more about because they are experts in their industry and they have the data and resources to uh, create a 
better environment. However, that seems more like a hopeful wish than something they'll actually do. More than likely, they'll just give it back to the investors in the form of stock buybacks. But that's just what I've seen. Yeah, I think definitely a lot of um, talking talk about like companies following an ethics code depends on how much money they're actually making off of said ethics. I definitely agree. I also think that, you know, because the EPA, like according to, you know, Supreme Court cases, as well as, you know, Congress, the EPA does have to take the economy and the cost of doing business into account when they make those regulations. Um, and, you know, I mean, I know other people might disagree, but for me, that's kind of enough to feel safe trusting, um, you know, like uh, reg trusting regulatory agencies um, with making those rules as opposed to individual companies. One thing that could be good is if uh, these acts are repealed, maybe they could be repealed contingent on the net benefit of that law not being followed be greater than if it were being followed. Right. Yeah, that's fair. And one thing that also I think just kind of make, you know, Zach's idea of like figuring out what those net benefits are super difficult um, is calculating the um, social cost of carbon um, in terms of, you know, like how much money we're going to have to spend in the future to, you know, like combat rising sea levels or like rebuild infrastructure as a result of that carbon emission, which is that actual number varies quite a bit from administration to administration. You know, under Obama's term, it was like $40 per ton of uh, carbon emitted, whereas under Trump, it's like $7. And there are some climate scientists that say it should be as high as $200. So I definitely think that, you know, like that idea is interesting, but it also kind of depends on our ability to actually calculate those net benefits. See, that's a little bit different. You're proposing a carbon tax, right? No, I'm talking about um, just uh, like, so, so the social cost of carbon emissions is just like a theoretical number in terms of like, this is how much our government is going to have to pay in the future to remedy the impact of those carbon emissions. So it's like, if we, you know, emit all this carbon now, then in the future, we're going to have to pay this much to fix it. It's like a cost benefit analysis tool. Could work. Zach, you just mentioned uh, a carbon tax. Uh, I know, I know that's end up, ended up not being what we were, what Maddie was talking about. But do you think we could get into that, talking about what a carbon tax would be? Would it be helpful? I don't think a carbon tax would be helpful uh, because it seems like we'll just try and uh, self-regulate and say, oh yeah, we're not, we don't have a lot of carbon, but don't have any interest in saying do have a lot of carbon because then they'd be taxed on it. I think it would just be up to some sort of government agency, maybe the EPA, to determine if what the people are doing, say, in in a, in a standard oil company, if what their practices are doing would be better off being regulated by themselves or if they should be regulated by the government. All right. Thank you guys for coming to Prudential's Buffering Podcast. Uh, we talked about carbon taxes, the EPA's new oil gas regulations. If you have any questions, uh, please feel free to contact us and until next time, this is the Credentials Buffering Podcast.